Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. Just how much do you understand about your own gut health? I didn't know much until I had read through a new picture book for kids called There's a Zoo in My Poo. It's written by Professor Felice Jacker, a world expert in the field of nutritional psychiatry and gut health and illustrated by her husband, Rob Craw. There are great pictures of all kinds of bugs and a wealth of information about how it all works. Felice and Rob join me now. Hello. How are you both? Uh, Good, thanks. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Now, Rob, you are a high school teacher and not necessarily an expert on gut health or an illustrator. What inspired you both to create this book together? Um, Look, I think the reason for pretty much everything I do is around wanting to improve population health, wanting to improve the quality of the food that we're eating and the diets that we're eating because we're in a really hideous situation now because of the growth of big food and the big food industry Across the world, diets have really, really changed, like profoundly changed. And we now have a situation when unhealthy diet is the leading cause of illness and early death across the globe. So more people now die from overweight than underweight. We see, for example, in the US, 60% of children alive today will be clinically obese by the time they're 35. But we also know that diet, poor diet, can have a negative impact on the brain and behaviour even before body weight changes and quite independently of body weight. So we're talking about direct effects on the brain and and on the gut. So we we want to create uh, vehicles by which we can easily uh, inform people in a way that's accessible but also fun. You know, we know that kids really are quite good at making good decisions for themselves if they're given the right information and the right prompts. So it was really, last year I published a book for adults. So this was really for the gap that's there, again, for people who may not read my book, which is more science heavy. This is a book that I think will be more accessible for parents and for teachers as well as for kids. And then I made Rob do it with me because he's really good at doing illustrations. <laughs> I was going to say that because, Rob, you don't teach art at high school and yet these drawings are incredible. Where does that come from? Uh, cutting a long story short, it came from my father used to draw cartoons of the Easter Bunny, which were quite bizarre, sort of this strange long ears and quite evil and cheeky. And we do an Easter Bunny trail chasing this uh, this Easter this this manic Easter Bunny cartoon trail uh, to finally get to the eggs. I, I just was cartooning ever since I was a kid in my exercise books, and I just ever I just kept on drawing, doing uh, birthday cards for all the kids and the police and you know, occasions. So just any time there was an occasion, rather than buying or buying a card, I'd just make one. Yeah, so he's always done fantastic cards for our children from, you know, when they were born right the way up. My Mother's Day cards, my birthday cards, they're always really hilarious and I've kept them all and they're all over my office. So I knew that um, when it came to making the illustrations that he would be a fantastic person to do them. So I have no training. (laughs) So who came up with the metaphor of the zoo in the poo? 
Oh, actually, a friend of mine came up with that title. We were um, coming back from Sydney. We'd been up in Sydney for a meeting and we had a couple of champagnes in the lounge and we were just bouncing ideas off each other. It was a joke. And, then, <laughs> and she it comes from an advertising background and just came out with this. I <laughs> just loved it. So I said, right, we're going to use that. <laughs> well, it's, it definitely works. Now, you were just mentioning there that you want to sort of change the way we engage with food. Do you think kids have the agency to change the way they're eating? I mean, when from my perspective, my children don't eat well, not because we don't give them good food, but just because they'd prefer to eat all the sugary stuff. But then there are families where the parents perhaps aren't educated about good food habits. Is it a lot to ask children to change that around in their own families? Look, it is. But what we know is that children are often putting a lot of pressure on their parents to buy particular things or to, saying, I don't want to eat this or I do want to eat that. And, and so the children do influence their, their parents' buying behaviours. I led research a few years ago that showed for the first time in humans that the quality of the diet is linked to the size of your hippocampus. This is a key region of the brain that influences your ability to learn and remember as well as your mental health. And people who have less healthy diets have a smaller hippocampus. And that's now been shown in a couple of other very large studies. And certainly it's what we see in animal experiments. When that study was published, there was a lot of media around the world and Vice in the US did this big headline saying, junk food shrinks your brain. Now I heard from all over from people saying, my child has come home now saying, mum, don't buy those chips because junk food shrinks your brain. So these very simple messages, they do cut through and kids are not stupid and they can get these messages. And if they know that their own zoo needs proper feeding and they really take that on board, I think that we can influence behaviour that way. And, and this child here can sit and read Felice's adult book, Brain Changer, and be bored to tears. But I can read Zoo in my poo and really kind of feel that I'm educating myself in the whole area of nutritional psychiatry. Oh, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, Rob. Felice, you were just mentioning there about the hippocampus and the, the relationship between food and mood. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? I think parents are probably really interested in their own well-being in terms of how they can influence um, things like anxiety perhaps and that sort of stuff with how they're eating. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very large field. My study was the first um, to really look at the overall, the link between overall diet quality and clinical depressive and anxiety disorders. And that was a huge study in women. Uh, it had a big influence on the field. I went on to do a lot of work looking at this relationship in, in teenagers because this is the primary age of onset for depression and anxiety, depression in particular. So what you want are risk factors that you can modify because if you think about risk factors for mental illness, they're often very difficult to address. There's genetics, there's early life trauma, there's poverty and disadvantage. These are all really intractable risk factors that are hard to modify knowing that diet can modify the risk for these very serious mental disorders that are so common is critically important because it gives people the opportunity to change their behavior so i did a lot of work in, in people right across the lifespan right from the start of life looking at the diet of women during pregnancy and how that's linked to emotional health in their children 
through adolescence, right through to older age. And we see over and over again that diet quality is very clearly linked to your risk for depression in particular, but it's also linked to things like your risk for dementia, a whole host of other diseases that are relevant to brain health. And these seem to be independent of those other factors that I mentioned, like poverty and education, but really importantly, body weight. And this is a key point because the message around food and unhealthy diet has been so focused on obesity. And the problem with that is obesity is very, very hard to reverse. Once people are overweight or obese, it's nigh on impossible to get it off and keep it off. And so people give up because they think, oh, well, I can't lose weight or if I can, I can't keep it off. So bugger it, I'm just going to eat the burgers and chips. And they don't recognise that the food that they eat has a direct impact on their brain, their ability to learn and remember their cognitive health as they age, their mental health experience of depression and anxiety, quite independent of their body weight. So I led the first large randomised control trial to test whether if we helped people with clinical depression, moderate to severe clinical depression, to improve their diet, would it actually improve their depression? Now, it had a markedly positive effect on their depression. So it's been a very famous study, very influential. But what was key is that nobody changed their body weight. This was not about losing weight. This is about the quality of the food we eat. And we think that the gut is a key way in which diet then goes on to influence mental and brain health. So interesting. Now, the message in the book seems quite simple. You know, eat well and your gut will do well, as will your brain and your overall health. What are your thoughts on those with fussy eaters? I mean, do you have any suggestions on how parents can make sure that their child's gut health is okay if, for example, they started only eating white pasta and anything white at two and never took to any other kind of vegetable or protein? So what we know from research is that kids will need an average of six exposures to a new flavour, a new food before they get used to it. So presenting them with a diverse range of foods from a very early age is absolutely key. Obviously, modelling these behaviours, if everybody sits down at the table at night and eats a healthy, balanced meal, then that is a message that's very important for children to see. You don't give the children anything different to what you're having. And the important thing is they're refusing to eat. You don't go and then say, oh, well, I'll give you ice cream or white bread, berry bread, because it's better to eat something than nothing at all. No, that's not the case. You just don't... um, give it a lot of weight, but present a wide range of foods right from early on. And diversity is key, plant foods are key. So, you know, my kids used to give them a a stick of broccoli. They're trees. They love them. You put a little bit of butter on them or something, something to give it a bit of flavour. They would fight for each other for the trees because they got used to it from an early age. So you don't have the bad stuff in the house because then it just becomes uh, it, it becomes normalised if it's in the house and it's seen every day. You model good eating behaviours yourself, but you offer them a lot of different types of foods from very early on and don't give up. Just keep on presenting it. They will get used to it. In the book, you also talk about how eating certain foods can help boost immunity. And we are sort of heading into the thick of winter now. Do you have any tips on what we should be eating to stay healthy during the cold and flu season? 
Yes, because your gut is so central to your immune function. Something like 70% of your guts, uh, of your immune function is dependent on the gut. So feeding your gut will help to feed your immune system. And the two things that we know are really important for, for gut health at this point are fibre, dietary fibre from plant foods. So that's your vegetables, fruit, different sorts of whole grain cereals such as oats or barley or rye or what have you. Your legumes are really important. It's very hard to hit your fibre target without eating lentils, chickpeas, beans, all of your different legumes, nuts and seeds. These have not only the plant fibre that feed the bugs and the healthy bugs, but they have a lot of um, what we call polyphenols, particularly the very colourful fruits and vegetables. And the polyphenols seem to be very important in gut health as well. And if we just look to the animal studies, the polyphenols seem to help prevent weight gain. So, you know, if you were going to eat them for no other reason than you wanted to keep your weight in control, <laughs> that's a very good reason to eat very colourful fruits and veggies. So, I mean, I eat frozen blueberries every day, as an example. Green tea, lots of polyphenols, a bit of red wine, lots of polyphenols, very dark chocolate, these things. But any colourful fruits and vegetables. And diversity is key. The more diverse the different types of foods that you get into your gut, the more diverse your bacteria are. And that seems to be associated with better health and better immune function. What's the book say? Eat the rainbow? <laughs> Eat the rainbow. That's right. And if parents are worried about their child's gut health, who should they see? Because, you know, do you go to your GP? Do you go to a dietitian? Where do they go as a first port of call? That's a really, really good question. And obviously, if they're having, you know, any kind of symptoms like diarrhea or persistent pain, then you would go and see a GP. That would be the first thing. But if you're really worried about the health of your child's diet, then you'd be going to see a dietitian. And dietitians, we know from our research, are really essential in helping people to change their diet, not because they know just what to eat, but they know how to make those changes and make them stick. So a dietitian is a really good, uh, you know, person to call on if you find that situation. And then, of course, you'll have gastroenterologists, but the GP will direct to them if that's appropriate. Well, I do love the book. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if my kids will love it as much as I did, but I'm sure they will. Congratulations to both of you and thank you for thank writing it. Thank you so it. much. Really appreciate thank it. You. <laughs> that's Professor Felice Jacker, world expert in the field of nutritional psychiatry and gut health and teacher and musician Rob Craw. Together, they wrote and illustrated There's a Zoo in My Poo. And if you'd like a closer look at the book, you can find it through the links in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.